Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Today we introduce a brand new teaching series for the 40 days of prayer in 2021 called From Heaven to Earth. And if you're watching this, uh, I urge you to think about this question. Why do people pray? And if you're watching it, maybe you could even pause the video for a second. Give that some thought. And if you're watching with anybody else, maybe discuss it with each other. What, what are the different reasons people pray? Well, here are some of the reasons that I thought of that people pray. Guilt or maybe to appease their own conscience. Uh, maybe it's a ritual, a habit. Maybe to obey a command, or perhaps they sense a need in their lives. Some will be taking advantage of God's promises. I'm not claiming that there's no validity to some of those reasons. But what about this reason for praying? Grace. We get to pray. We pray because God is gracious. Now, our text for this opening Sunday and weekend for the 40 days of prayer is Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Each week, we're going to take an attribute of God, and we're going to show how that shapes how we pray. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And today... We're going to find out the impact of God's being gracious because God is gracious and we'll, we'll fill that out as the message continues. Now, let me set the context for you of Hebrews chapter 4. It begins, verse 14, begins with the word therefore. And this therefore links to earlier statements that have happened already in the letter to the Hebrews. Those were statements about Jesus as the Son of God and about Jesus as the high priest. And it transition. So it looks back and it and it links to that and it transitions uh, in into a large section about Jesus high priestly ministry and how that applies to the Christian life. That section includes the three verses that we're going to look at today, but it actually runs for several chapters. So looking back, this therefore looks back to this great theme of Jesus, the son of God in verse Three of chapter one, the writer said, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And then in chapter two, speaking of Jesus, he said, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So Jesus has been introduced as the Son of God and introduced as a high priest. And now when we come to 
this passage, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, and then the passage continues. Now, let me show you how the passage is put together. Based on the fact that we have this high priest, there are two commands or two exhortations. One is in verse 14 there, let us hold firmly. And then the second one is in verse 16, let us then approach. And in between verses 14 and 16 is verse 15, which starts out by elaborating on verse 14. It elaborates on that exhortation to hold firmly. Why? Because he's a great high priest and he explains what that means. And even as it elaborates on that, it also then gives us the basis for this second command that comes in verse 16. So as we examine Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, let's let's notice how Jesus as high priest impacts us today. Hebrews is a very theological book, a lot of doctrinal truth in there, and it can seem otherworldly at times, but it's also very, very practical. And this great doctrine of Jesus as high priest, it, it affects us very practically. So let's let's talk about two ways that it that it impacts us. First of all, it gives us incentive to hold firmly to our faith. Verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, the next few chapters of Hebrews are going to explain why Jesus is a great high priest. And it starts right here. He can sympathize with us. Unlike the earthly priest, the passage will continue or the, the sections after this will continue. He was completely without sin himself. His priesthood is eternal. He made an offering, not like the sacrifices that the Old Testament priest made, but he sacrificed his own body and he only had to do it once. They had to make sacrifices year after year after year. And he has ascended into heaven, it says here in verse 14. And that culminates everything by, by focusing on Jesus' ascension. After Jesus had finished his work on earth, he had lived, he had died on the cross to pay for our sins, he had been buried, and he rose again three days later, and then he appeared to his followers and hundreds of people in the next 40 days. And he taught them, he taught them about God, about the kingdom of God. And one day, Acts 1 tells us about this instance, it seemed like a normal day to them. They were eating together. Jesus was teaching them. He was telling them to wait for the promised Holy Spirit that God the Father was going to send. And he told them they were going to be witnesses everywhere. And then all of a sudden, he just left. He just he just ascended into heaven. And this was the uh, kind of the final piece that they could see for that period of history that proved Jesus was victorious. It was proved when he rose from the dead. And then it was proven again when he when he ascended up into heaven. We have a high priest, not just a normal high priest that is just like you and me, very human. We have one that that has accomplished God's work. He's ascended into heaven. He's a great high priest. And based on that, what do we do? What is the practical result of his being exalted and yet available? 
And here's the first exhortation that comes right there at the end of verse 14. Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, the first readers of this book, they were written to the Hebrews. They were Jewish people who had become followers of Jesus. They had professed their faith in Christ publicly, and as a result, they ended up getting persecuted. Some of them lost family, and some lost jobs, some lost homes, and some even lost their lives because of their stated allegiance to Jesus. And the writer urges them, hold firmly, hold firmly. This original word is used 47 times in the New Testament in different contexts. It's, sometimes it's like just literally holding firmly. Like when Jesus grabbed the hand of a sick person in Mark 1 and Mark 9, uh, or the women grabbing hold to Jesus after they saw him resurrected in Matthew 28, or uh, the lame man grabbing Peter and John in Acts. But here in Hebrews, the word doesn't speak of a physical holding. It's, it's really the hold of commitment. Now, in Mark 7, uh, same word is used of the Pharisees holding or observing their teachings, the teachings of the, the fathers. And believers in Christ in 2 Thessalonians 2 are ur urged to hold to the teachings that they had received. So this concept of, of holding true to a teaching, a doctrine, and this is what it means in this context. To these readers who had publicly professed faith in Christ, stay committed, stay firm. And he would say that to us too, by application. If you've committed to Jesus Christ, if you've made that public profession, stay firm, hold firmly to the faith that you profess. And while the next few chapters are going to elaborate on his greatness, the very next verse does also, as it tells us what kind of priest we have. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Now, I'm not a priest. There are, I'm a pastor. There are priests. I hang out with people that aren't very religious, uh, and I know they, they, you know, I do a normal thing. We play in a golf league together, and I... They, they, they tend to put pastors and priests on a pedestal. They tend to put them as, as if they're otherworldly and they're, they, they can't relate to them. And obviously that's a great way to, or a great reason to hang out with them to, to let them know that that's not the case. But a lot of people have that concept, that image that, oh, this priest is totally unattainable and, and maybe he can't even understand us, what it's like for just us. Well, Hebrews says about Jesus, we don't have a priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. He, he definitely can empathize with our weaknesses. Uh, he, he became human so he could understand. He was tempted like we are in every way. He understands what it's like to be tempted. He understands what it's, what it's like to face those things. You know, Joe Torrey was a a catcher and a broadcast announcer for the St. Louis Cardinals. And soon after he was named manager, uh, the, the New York Yankees announcer, Phil Rizzuto, suggested that maybe you could manage better from, from high above the baseball field. Do it from the level of the broadcast booth. But Tory said to him, 
upstairs, you can't look in their eyes. And in some ways, that's what God did for us by sending Jesus. He came and he he looked in our eyes. God chose to come down low where we are. He can empathize with our weaknesses because of that. The word translated weaknesses here often can refer to like physical weaknesses, sickness and so forth. But in this context, it points to moral weaknesses. You could compare Hebrews 5 for that. It's, it's moral weaknesses. Jesus never sinned, but he was tempted like we were. So he's compassionate. He's caring. He's not removed. He understand our, understands our weaknesses. And that truth uh, not only explains why he is a great high priest, it also becomes the basis for the second exhortation in the passage, which is found in verse 16. And that is another let us. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may obtain mercy. We may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So here's the second way that Jesus as high priest impacts us today. It gives us motivation to approach God in prayer boldly. Do you, do you see the third verse or third word in the verse there, the word then? This command to approach God in prayer boldly just flows right out of verses 14 and 15. Then it's, it's drawing a conclusion. In other words, because Jesus is such a compassionate, empathetic high priest, he is going to be able to help us. Now, how and where are we going to find the strength to carry on in our faith when times get tough? Not in ourselves, but through him. Because he gives us a place to go to get the help we need. He offers strength that we don't have. And that comes when we draw close to him. Now, let's walk through verse 16. Let us then approach. This verb in the original language uh, is in the present tense. So you could understand it as, let us keep on approaching God. <laughs> now, the readers were Jewish, and uh, <laughs> instantly they would have thought of the fact that in the Old Testament, only one person was permitted to go into God's presence one day a year. The high priest was the only one that could enter the most holy place, and he could only do it on the Day of Atonement, and he would go in to the, uh, to the most holy place, and be in the presence of God as the representative for the people. Now, the forgiveness kind of was granted temporarily to cover the people because of that, but they themselves couldn't go in the presence of God. They knew nothing about approaching God themselves. It all had to be somebody doing it for them one day a year, one time a year. But now, let us, let us, let's all... We're all, and it's written to believers in Christ. So all believers are invited to come in the presence of God and to keep on coming into the presence of God. Keep on coming to God's throne of grace. Let me ask you a question. What do you think about 
when you hear the word throne. Maybe you think about royalty or splendor, something that is inaccessible to the ordinary person. It's, it's not just a place you can drop in. Oh, I think I'll stop by the throne on the way home from work. Here's a picture uh, of uh, the throne room in Buckingham Palace. <laughs> Royal, ornate. Now, in the Old Testament, and in that, that, the time surrounding those days, a throne was an elevated ceremonial chair. Its height symbolized the dignity and the majesty of the person that was seated on it. In Old Testament times, kings sat on thrones such as the Pharaoh of Egypt and the kings of Assyria and Babylon. In Israel, Solomon uh, prepared a great throne, which was inlaid with ivory and overlaid with pure gold. The term throne came to symbolize kingship, and it, and it became equivalent in meaning to, to the kingdom itself. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was promised that Jesus was going to occupy David's throne forever. The 12 apostles are going to reign with Jesus in the, in the coming world. Revelation 4 and 5 focuses on God who alone sits on the throne. But the final judgment is going to come from the one who sits on a great white throne, according to Revelation 20. And according to Matthew 25, as son of man, Jesus will judge from his throne in the world to come. And the 12 apostles will reign with him on those 12 thrones to assist him. So when the original audience read this, heard this, the word throne, it most likely brought to mind concepts such as respect and awe and difference and distance. But notice what the author of Hebrews says about God's throne. He calls it the throne of grace. The throne of grace. God is the ruler of the universe. The Bible clearly teaches that one day everything in the universe is going to bow before him. Bow before the name of Jesus Christ. But God is also a God of grace. And now, right now, believers in Christ while standing in awe of God, or also to think of his throne, not just as a throne of judgment or majesty, but as a throne of grace. I love the juxtaposition of the words throne and grace. His throne speaks of his ability and his authority, his ability more than anybody else in the universe to have the power to help us. But the fact that it's a throne of grace reminds of us his, of his desire to receive us and his desire to give us what we need, even if we don't feel worthy, even if we don't feel close to him, even if we have sinned, even if we are weak. You know, in these 40 days of prayer, each, each week we're, we also have a song of the week. And we've got a playlist. <laughs> and the song for week one is the hymn, Grace That Is Greater Than All Our Sin. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. 
grace that is greater than all our sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. (laughs) There's the confidence. There's the bold frankness, as you could translate that word. We have a high priest who has invited us into God's presence. And notice the results, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. There's grace again. You know, grace is such a calm word, but this passage takes a huge sledgehammer uh, and pounds home the concept of grace in relation to prayer. Now, let's think about both sides of Jesus that have been presented in relation to prayer. In verse 15, it said that he was empathetic. And now in verse 16, it says that God can help. There's empathy on the one hand, and there's help on the other. Now think about it. Whenever you have a problem, maybe you want to go talk to a friend or a counselor or somebody. What do you want? Do you want empathy or do you want help? Well, most of the times we want both. We definitely want empathy. We want somebody who will listen to us, somebody who will care about what we're saying, right? Somebody who can empathize, somebody who can relate. But sometimes that's not enough, right? We want somebody who can help. We want somebody who can do something about our problem. Well, many humans lack in either empathy or ability to help, and all humans lack in the ultimate ability to help like God has. God, in the person of Jesus, is both empathetic and helpful. I love that. He has empathy, but he can help. He's not just going to give us a good, kind, listening ear. He's going to help us. Jesus was fully God. He was fully human. As human, he learned to empathize with our weaknesses. As God, he can help. I love the way Ray Stedman words it. He says, there's no necessity for anyone to give up faith under the pressure of peril or persecution for the help needed to stand is both sympathetically offered and fully effective help in our time of need now think about jesus in the garden of gethsemane before he was crucified he had made a commitment to come and save the world and that weighed heavily on him the thought of carrying the weight of sin of being separated from his father Paying that awful price. And, and what did he do? He did not back out. He did not quit like these first readers were tempted to do. They were tempted under pressure to throw away their faith. Instead, Jesus prayed to his father for help. That was his time of need. And we have different times of need. None greater than when the pressures of life and the temptations of sin try to draw us away from God. Maybe you're there today. And if so, I have great news for you. If you're struggling, maybe you're not as close to God as you used to be or you want to be. If you are a Christian, you have a high priest who understands you and is capable of helping you. And in these 40 days, what a great time. We're entering a period to draw near to God in prayer, to draw near to this priest, to draw or through this priest to draw near to the very throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. So here's God's word for us today. 
Because God is gracious, we hold faith firmly and pray boldly. Hold faith firmly. That's what verse 14 said. Let us hold firmly to our profession. Verse 16 said, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. That's pray boldly. Because God is gracious, we hold faith firmly and we pray boldly. Now, let's bridge this to today. Let's, you know, bridge gets you from this side to that to the other. Well, let's go from the first century when this was written and let's bridge it to our lives today in two ways. First of all, I want to encourage you to receive new life in Christ. That's that's faith. If you are hearing this and you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way, hopefully you've heard today about his death and burial and resurrection for you to forgive you of your sins. And I urge you to put your faith in him, to trust him as your Lord and Savior and begin that that lifetime journey of faith with him. For those who have known Christ and do know Christ, I would bridge it this way. Understand new motivation for prayer, and that is God's grace. I hope that today you'll get a brand new motivation to pray. If you've been around the Christian world for a while, you, you've probably heard a lot about obligation regarding prayer. And maybe that's what you think of first. In fact, maybe when you hear that we're having 40 days of prayer at Harvest, down in the secret places of your heart where you don't really want to share with anybody for fear that you'll be rejected, you might not be excited about it. You might feel like, oh, this is pressure or, oh, this is just more obligation. This is something else that people are going to expect me to do to something to add to my to-do list. If that's your thinking, I, I really want to urge you to be honest with yourself, to be honest with God, to be honest with others. Please know, there's no pressure on you from us as leadership here in this church. Now, of course, we're going to provide prayer resources for you, and we're going to provide encouragement to you to pray. We're going to give you opportunities to pray with others. But the idea of applying human pressure on our people to pray is something we reject. I want you to want to pray, to love to pray, to enjoy being in God's presence. And I think this is where Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 comes in. God is a gracious God. His throne is a throne of grace. And because of that, we can come boldly before him with confidence. Prayer is all about grace. If you understand grace and approach, in fact, the entire Christian life, not just prayer, but if you approach the Christian life through grace, it'll change your life. And it'll certainly change your prayer life. It can move prayer away from being an obligation towards becoming a joy and a privilege. And that's why we desire to be a house of prayer. That's why we teach about prayer and, and model it, because God has been gracious to us in this area. He's revealed to himself to us in prayer. He's helped imperfect people who have a long way to go with God to enjoy seeking God in prayer. And that's, that's what we want for you too. Now, this issue of motivation, this is why I chose to begin this 40 days of prayer with this particular attribute of God. He is gracious. We're going to focus on several attributes through the six weeks. But I wanted to frame it around the fact that God is gracious and that God invites us to pray and that we, we're we drawn to prayer by his grace, by his 
throne of grace. Now, your pastor wants you to pray. But please don't pray just for that reason. Prayer will do a lot of good for you and those in your life, but please don't pray just for that reason. Leaders pray, but please don't pray just for that reason. Pray because the one who sits on the throne of grace invites you in. Andrew Bonar was a 19th century Scottish minister who was known for having a zealous and holy life. And one time he came to America to do a conference and uh, the famous uh, D.L. Moody was presiding over this service. And, and he said to him, just kind of offhanded seemingly, uh, Dr. Bonar, let's get right down to it. These people here want to know how you live the victorious life about which you have been preaching. Tell us your experience. Well, Bonar hesitated for a minute, and then he quietly said, I do not like to speak about myself, but for 50 years, I have had access to the throne of grace. And brothers and sisters, so do we. Because God is gracious, we hold faith firmly and pray boldly. As you are watching this, listening to it, here's some discussion questions that hopefully you'll be able to use um, that'll help you dive deeper into the Scripture. And also, I just want to mention this announcement. In these 40 days of prayer, there are a lot of ways we're praying. But uh, next week, uh, every week is different. Uh, we've got groups that pray all the time, but there are certain things that are designed for everybody in the church to dive into. And we're having some virtual prayer sessions with brothers and sisters, other churches in this that, that are near us. We thought this would be a great way to pray for other churches. And they're listed on your screen there. You see two of them are at night. They're, all, they're 30 minutes long. You log on to Microsoft Teams. And we'll send the link out. It's the same link we always use for our prayer sessions. Monday and Wednesday night, uh, we'll pray for two different churches. Thursday and Saturday morning at 7.30 a.m., we'll pray for two other churches. And then Friday at noon, we'll pray for one. And uh, we really look forward to this. I hope you'll take advantage of that. Let me just pray briefly now. Thank you, O oh Lord God, that your throne is the throne of grace. Thank you for what that does for us. And how it changes everything. We love you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.